0: Thanks for listening to the Theory Lab Podcast. I'm Joe Cotter from our research department. I'm here with Susanna Greer. Hi, Susanna. Hello, Joe. So we just finished chatting with a couple of uh, scientists in your portfolio about yogurt and beans, Uh, Dr. Shi Hong Zhang and Carrie Daniel McDougall of MD Anderson. I should say Hong is from Brigham and Women's Hospital. So Susanna, why did you choose them? You know, well, first I have met both of them, and they're so personable and energetic about their work, and I thought that they would really be fun to talk to and fun, quite frankly, for all of you to listen to and learn from. Uh, But they have some interesting research, um, not really synergy, but some kind of cool overlap, because both of what they're doing is related to how diet – and lifestyle modification can impact cancer risk, um, survivorship, and recurrent risk of recurrence. Um, Hong's research is focused around yogurt as a food group, and Carrie's around beans. And they are both coming from different directions, and so I thought they might have um, different challenges. But their message is so uplifting and so relatable to all of us because it's really that no matter where you live. Everybody has access to the foods that they study, and with changes in diet which take persistence and real dedication, you we can really we have the opportunity to alter um, how cancer may impact our lives and so it 's a story that I wanted um, to get out there um, because I think it 's something important that a c s is supporting and also just to hear their take on what the challenges are in their field and they were they were actually really interesting and and quite different so um i don't know what did you think what well, yeah i agree they were very interesting they had a good rapport with each other too i thought um you kicked things off by asking them to talk a bit about about their work just give a brief elevator speech of sorts to kind of describe their their ongoing research so maybe we could just get right to the conversation yeah absolutely that's always my favorite challenge to put everybody on guard give us your elevator pitch but they did a great job and it's uh, relatable and shall I say consumable by everyone (laughs) oh no (laughs) all right Carrie Hong how are you good good thank you we're so glad to have you with us today, and I'm super excited to have an opportunity to talk to you about your studies um, related to colorectal cancer and the, the fantastic work that you're doing. So in order that we can all get on the same page, um, yeah. maybe I could ask you just to share your, your quite frankly, your pitch with us. Um, Carrie, can we start with you? Tell us about what you're doing.
1: Sure. Um, The ACS grant that I'm currently working on is in its second year, and it is a randomized crossover trial examining the effect of adding cooked dry beans to the diets of colorectal cancer survivors and comparing that to their usual diet without the dry beans and seeing if we can impact their overall metabolic and gut health. And so one of the primary targets is the gut microbiome. And we're also examining effects on established cholesterol markers, markers of cancer risk in the blood, and other fecal markers and metabolites that might be of interest, but we haven't um, necessarily learned a lot about just yet. And It was work that built from um, my work as a nutritional epidemiologist, so observational comparisons of people at varied risk of colorectal cancer and also looking at the field of cardiovascular disease trials where dry beans had been tested in a number of trials to lower LDL and improve metabolic health in people at high risk and also old work. Um, not that old but I guess you know science moves pretty fast in terms of the polyp prevention trial and work in uh, mouse models showing that dry beans have these anti-inflammatory effects in um, obese mouse models and overweight individuals at risk of adenoma recurrence and that it has these anti-carcinogenic effects and so with the dawning of the gut microbiome era, um, knowing that dry beans have various prebiotic properties, I thought it was important to revisit this question again and um, with these new technologies and also with this growing uh, population of colorectal cancer survivors who um, particularly the overweight and obese survivors that may be at risk of recurring or developing another Obesity
0: related cancer. All right. Thank you, Carrie. Hong, can I ask you the same thing? Could you share with us what you've been up to?
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, Thank you for inviting me. And uh, uh, similar to Carrie's uh, research interest on colorectal cancer, my uh, funded American Cancer Society research scholar grant is also on colorectal cancer, uh, which is the second most uh, common cause of cancer deaths in both men and women combined in the United States. And uh, the research uh, uh, from ASS grant is focusing on yogurt uh, consumption and colorectal neoplasia, impl- uh, including both uh, adenomas and colorectal cancer. Uh, the objective of this proposed research is to determine the association Between uh, yogurt intake and uh, colorectal cancer risk and survival. And uh, uh, we hypothesize that the higher yogurt consumption can decrease the risk of developing adenomas, the precursors of colorectal cancer, uh, as well as improve the survival among patients with colorectal cancer. Uh, The hypothesis. was based uh, on the considerable strong experimental evidence showing that uh, yogurt can influence uh, the colorectal carcinogenesis. Uh, for example, uh, animal studies show that yogurt intake can decrease the rec- occurrence of the chemically induced colon tumors, reduce inflammation, inhibit uh, like fusel bacteria in the gut, and uh, stimulate uh, uh, immunity. Uh, despite those strong animal or experimental evidence, uh, the population-based study uh, on yogurt and colorectal is very limited. To knowledge, uh, no study uh, has been conducted in the United States, although there are, uh, there are two, uh, two uh, population-based studies uh, in European countries, uh, and also in our uh, Preliminary work uh, using the data from the Nurses' Health Study, we do observe a significant, uh, about 15% lower risk of colorectal cancer, uh, and the association was independent of uh, the known risk factors for colorectal cancer. So, taking all together, this uh, motivates us to uh, propose this grant to, to first examine the yogurt intake in relation to uh, adenomas, uh, the precursor to colorectal cancer. Secondly, we're looking at yogurt. And in relation to overall colorectal cancer risk, and then uh, according to the molecular subtypes of uh, uh, the tumors, uh, one was defined by the fusobacteria, and uh, uh, the third aim we tried to looking at among the, the patients with established colorectal cancer, whether consumption of yogurt and, uh, uh, and, and other dairy foods may improve survival. Lastly, we complement with those population-based associational study by uh, uh, further examining the potential mechanisms by identifying the tumor gene uh, expression profile as well as the host plasma metabolites profiles related to higher yogurt intake. Uh, uh, We expect that uh, uh, to determine that higher yogurt intake may be independently associated with lower risk of uh, uh, advanced adenomas and cancer. And in fact, we have uh, submitted a paper which is now under review uh, where we showed the higher urea consumption is associated with uh, lower risk of adenomas in men. Uh, Yeah, that's the brief uh, introduction of the funded grant. Yeah.
0: Wow. I mean, you both, I, I mean, I have to say, I love both of your grants um they're so innovative and quite frankly just interesting and uh, the work that you're doing is pretty remarkable and when you talk about it it just kind of flows and it's easy but i know that's not always the reality in the lab so i think it'd be kind of interesting to hear I mean, what's your biggest challenge right now like you know what keeps you up at night when you worry about your project and um, is it recruitment or um, is it, you know, the change in the hypothesis or, I don't know, Carrie, is that is that something that resonates with you? Could you share with us?
1: Oh, yes, know? of course. Well, first of all, we're super happy to have our ACS grant and to have <laughs> your faith and support in us. Um, but yes, it's absolutely challenging. It's a learning experience. Uh, this was my first study to recruit colorectal cancer survivors, and you can read all the statistics that you want of how many there are, but you have to know where to find them. And recruitment is definitely a challenge. We're in one of the largest, or if not the largest cancer center in the country, so we have quite a few coming through here. What's interesting that that we found in this particular um, population is some are very highly motivated to participate in research. As they conclude their treatment and are ready to go into survival follow-up, whereas others are just overwhelmed and they just want to be left, you know, left to be. We've also learned that some of them kind of have PTSD in terms of returning to the um, the hospital for blood draws and for participation in the study. So that was something that is kind of interesting and unique that we learned. So it's kind of you know, beyond all the science and the mechanism, there's like this behavioral aspect to working with people and working with patients that is important to to recognize. And then, of course, this is a trial instead of an epi-study. So we see people once a month for about six months, and we call them and we follow up with them with the dietitian regularly. So it's like a six-month-long kind of customer service relationship. And it's important to get high-quality data, but it's also important to keep those individuals happy and engaged and not um, be too much of a pain in their life. So I'd say that's kind of the challenge, and, and that's what we've learned, and we've used a number of strategies to address these things. But ultimately, you kind of never do wrong if you put the patient and their needs and concerns first and just go from there.
0: I love that we should all' get a badge that says that that a c s we put people first, maybe that'll be our new logo. Um, <laughs>
1: so it's
0: Hong, it sounds like Carrie's challenges are around the the people yeah. side of her project. Um, yeah. Would you share with us what are your challenges?
2: Oh, yeah, now, first of all, uh, 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 same as Carrie, I'm deeply grateful for the a c s uh, uh, because it's funding grant. Because uh, 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 the big picture thing for me, like research-wise, the big challenging I'm facing right now is uh, like uh, the funding support. Uh, sometimes I feel that we do have some good ideas, but sometimes I feel the the, the grant is, uh, is really hard to get funded. Uh, we submit to the National Cancer Institute, the the pay line is pretty uh, is pretty low. Uh, There's a big challenging as in office, um, not facing not only myself facing that, but I think I'm, uh, all, almost all my colleagues working in that field are uh, uh, facing that as well. In terms of, especially uh, for this grant, um, uh, uh, overall uh, uh, it's going it's going pretty uh, smoothly uh, as the, the aims proposed. Uh, the, uh, the challenging I'm facing right now is more on the um, uh, the tumor tissue uh, uh, assessments, and as you know this is a uh, the ground is building upon the, the unique uh, uh, infrastructure or resources from the nurses health study and health professional Fallout study which uh, uh, in which uh, many investigators have contributed to a lot and uh, uh, which makes uh, this project uh, feasible and happening right now and uh, the tumor tissue collection uh, involves the uh, uh, different group's effort uh, because the patients are uh, from uh, different states uh, in, the, uh, uh, in, the, uh, in the U.S. And that takes time. And then we do a, um, uh, we have the quality control and the centralized uh, pathology lab, et cetera. And uh, that's for more for study population wise or collection connection. Uh, another challenging uh, uh, aspect is the the omics data analysis because we uh, in the ASI squad we do have the metabolomics data proposed. And uh, uh, as you uh, as you all know, the this field is evolving uh, rapidly, and uh, uh, we have just started to uh, to. Uh, to working on that uh, uh, proposed aim, uh, more uh, at the very beginning of uh, thinking about the statistical uh, approaches we will, we would like to take uh, to address the the questions we have proposed.
0: Yeah, so it so they're different, different challenges, which we would expect. Um, I, I guess as we think about those. And maybe i'll just i'll pivot back to you carrie is there like if you could think about the perfect resource or the perfect collaborator that would really help to alleviate one of your pain points um so that's one question what might that be and then is there a way acs could help engage in that process whether it would be information exchange or uh, providing you know resources whether they be financial or Technical. I mean, is there is there a place where you feel like if I just had this, things would be so much easier for this particular aspect of the study? I, I think that'd be an interesting thing to know. Well,
1: um, I think that I'm kind of already thinking ahead that if I want to continue the next step of the study, that I would want to go multi-center, right? That the next phase, if if we find that this is promising, is to go multi-center and then that's going to be a bigger, scarier, harder-to-get grant, but that's uh, one thing that I'm already thinking about. The other thing that I've started to do over the last couple of years, um, you know, there's the time we take to write the grant, to revise the grant, to get the grant funded, and during that time, we're also always building up the next thing or or how we're going to get to the next step, and that's trying to do more... um, dietary assessment and dietary-based research in cancer patients going on to active treatment because that is what we have in droves here. Um, sometimes the the people who survive their cancer return to the cancer center and sometimes they don't. And so I'm really trying to meld the kind of high-risk work that I'm doing in that area with the ACS grant and learning from this experience of targeting the microbiome through diet and conducting a trial and all the ends of out of that and to try to think about the next phase of bringing this to an active treatment setting. Um, I think that the, the motivation and the recruitment will be more natural because one of the first questions every patient asks is, what should I eat to their physician, and then the oncologist or the surgeon says, "Eh, I don't know. (laughs) So I think that there will be high motivation to do that, and there will be unique challenges. But that's something that we're we're starting to pilot now, and I think that's the next step that I want to take. And I hope that that's something that people can get behind from a funding perspective, and and that's just really the challenge that we're going to
0: have. Well, I would definitely say for both of you, and then I'll, I'll pose the same question to Hong, but at some point um, I would recommend taking a look at our Mission Boost Grant because it's really the goal is to help you pivot from a more preclinical kind of trans, pre-translational or translational work to work that mm-hmm. will directly impact patients. And you're both right on the cusp of that. Some of your work is already there. Some of it is close mm-hmm. to there. So I would definitely consider that. that you see, I mean, of course um, – we are strongly motivated to make sure that the fantastic work that you're doing does touch patients so take a look at that funding mechanism if you haven't already because you've both received research scholar grants you qualify to apply so that's a resource that I'd make sure you know about um what about you Hong if you could think about the perfect collaborator or resource to alleviate a pain point what might that be
2: yeah, I mean, uh, because the proposed research for the ASS grant uh, currently funded is focusing on uh, the uh, Caucasian population. And uh, if uh, some additional funding mechanisms or grant can be available, I would love to expand uh, this research into other uh, like racial, racial or ethnic groups, such as the Black like, uh, uh, the black populations, and uh, I appreciate information. I think I will check uh, to make sure whether uh, I'll be eligible. Uh, because in current study, although it's uh, only uh, relatively in the uh, the first year almost there, we do observe some interesting thing uh, for yogurt uh, in, uh, in the Caucasian population. It will be very interesting to see whether... Uh, uh, something will be uh, the same in blacks, especially given uh, uh, the, uh, the black population has uh, one of the highest incidence or mortality rate of colorectal cancer uh, in the United States, and um, oftentimes they have uh, lactose intolerance, which can limit their uh, uh, dairy food intake. And the yogurt uh, in this context actually uh, can be a better uh, dairy food because the lexin acid has been, uh, 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 has been much less in yogurt and uh, uh, is more palatable to, to individuals with lactose intolerance. So, that motivates me to think more about how to expand the current research into other uh, racial and ethnic groups, especially among the black population. Mm,
0: yeah. Fantastic. I love that. Um, so I, I have to ask a question. It may be slightly off topic, but it's just so interesting to me. You're, for both of you, your research is so person-centric. Um, and of course, at ACS, our funding spans from basic science all the way to very much applied and in, in clinical trials. So it's easier for some people and more difficult for others to talk to if you were at a dinner party or out at the bar getting a drink with a friend, what you do. And I must imagine that your lives are constantly inundated with questions about how do I protect myself from colorectal cancer or what can I do? Or as Carrie said, what can I eat? So I'd love to know, maybe Hung will start with you. What do you when people ask you those kinds of questions with all that you know and all that you don't know on balance, how do you answer those kinds of questions?
2: Yeah, I think you you asked a question about the primary prevention of colorectal cancer, and uh, 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 from my perspective, uh, 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 I would say first that uh, the uh, uh, the genetic uh, mutations only contributes to uh, maybe up to like twenty or thirty percent of overall colorectal cancer, and uh, in fact the the vast majority of colorectal cancer can be preventable by uh, maintaining a healthy weight, being physically active, and uh, and having the the healthy diet. Uh, in terms of the diet uh, and colorectal cancer uh uh prevention, uh there has been uh, a lot of research in this field. And thanks to many decades of research efforts by many collabor- uh, many colleagues around the world, they have identified uh, a fair amount of uh, uh uh risk factors like uh red meat processed meat and also protective factors uh like um uh fruits and vegetables or fiber and uh, even like uh, uh calcium or dairy foods uh uh all of those, like uh, 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 in the category of uh, probable, like uh, pre- uh, 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 probable uh, protective factors, uh, there is a uh, uh, a good summary by the uh, uh, World Research Foundation, and uh, uh, to me, uh, the healthy uh, lifestyle uh, is the key for. Uh, colorectal cancer primary prevention and um, uh, clearly like um, uh, the screening and uh, early detection is also important and uh, yeah I just want yeah this just very quick uh, my, my quick thoughts
0: Sure. So m- the good news is that much of what we can do is in our hands. Uh, the bad news is much of what we can do is in our hands, and some of it's not easy. But yeah. absolutely, we should be motivated to do it.
2: Um, yeah. Of course, there are many enough. unknown. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, no, I, I would say that there are many unknown, like either risk factors or protective factors. To we don't know much about for colorectal cancer primary prevention. Yeah. And also, I think Carrie already mentioned a lot regarding uh, the survivorship, uh, too. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah absolutely. Maybe you could speak to that, Carrie. What do you What do you say when you're at a family dinner or a reunion and people ask you that inevitable question about Well, um, what can I um, do? I think because it's so accessible,
1: because everyone eats and everyone has fun tweaking their diets, that sometimes people forget it's a science that we actually study quite quite intensely in school. And so you'll give someone your take on something and they're like, well, but you know, I've heard this ketogenic diet is is the thing I should be doing and they just sort of reject whatever it is you have to say because it's so popular and it's so accessible that I think our challenge is to keep it scientific and to keep it evidence-based, not just within our friends and family, but with our peers. I think it's it's a huge challenge that not a lot of people face in other fields. And I'm very interested in, we know that there are individuals who get cancer who don't fit the profile of all the things we know. And also it's kind of a, a tough thing when you're encountering a cancer patient in the in the cafeteria and they they want to go backwards and they want to figure out what they did wrong. And I think that's a very... Um, painful and counterproductive um, step for them at that point. I think they have to look forward and they have to think about eating to manage their symptoms, their side effects, to optimize their treatment efficacy and also to just keep them sustained and keep some joy and positivity in their life because food is, is more than just nourishment. Otherwise we'd all be perfectly thin. It's, it's also pleasure. So I think there's a lot of different things to think about from both the scientific and a more um, personal perspective. But I think we have to start collecting information about what patients are eating as they're going on to clinical trials or they're going on to treatment because a lot of them are independently trying some very um, strange things. And we really don't know uh, what the effect of those are, and many of the physicians maybe are not aware of what those potential effects could be. It's just not really been studied. So I think there's some natural experiments as a nutritional epidemiologist that we can learn from. And then also I think we can take what we do know and um, potentially start testing some of these, these diets and these patients. I know our group is really interested in immunotherapy here at MD Anderson and immunotherapy patients are somewhat different than chemotherapy patients and radiation patients who don't have the same uh, side effects and loss of appetite. And so there are opportunities to think about synergy with diet, and I I think that's really exciting. But, um, again, we have to keep it scientific and and evidence-based, and it's going to go slower than people want it to go.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I fully agree. Yeah, I have another related point, if possible. Yeah, like uh, I fully agree with Carrie. Like uh, uh, the the evidence-based recommendations for primary prevention uh, is the key. And also, when we talk about colorectal cancer, I want to emphasize that uh, uh, it's not. Uh, those healthy uh, behaviors or healthy lifestyle, not only for colorectal cancer prevention. For example, when we talk about limit the alcohol alcohol consumption, limit sugar and beverage intake, limit uh, right, uh, processed red right meat intake, or limit the fast food intake, uh, all those kinds of things have been shown associated with other disease outcome too, or even like mortality uh, So, uh, maintaining a healthy uh, lifestyle or diet uh, not only uh, can contribute to prevention of primary colorectal cancer, but also for uh, many other metabolic diseases, cardiovascular disease, or even mortality.
0: So, I think you both have really in a very lovely way summarized the importance and impact of your work, but just to make sure. Um, there's nothing I don't want to leave anything on the table so if there if you had the opportunity to talk to a cancer patient um, specifically maybe a colorectal cancer patient but they really want to know why what you're doing specifically in this area is so important um, what might you say is there anything else you'd like to share Um, Carrie maybe we'll start with you sure I'd say
1: that um, as they're coming through their treatment and they're starting to look around their family members and worry about the risk in their family members, that they really focus on what my colleague has said about primary prevention and to think about going forward concerns about risk of not just colorectal cancer, but just better overall metabolic health and improving dietary behaviors also to prevent cardiovascular disease, which is sort of the next challenge that's potentially coming their way um, if they truly were an individual whose diet and lifestyle may have contributed uh, to their cancer in the first place and we know that treatments and screening are very effective but none of them quite uh, treat the unhealthy diet or the lifestyle component without some support so I think it's important that our you know behavioral science colleagues are a part of the work that we do and they also pay attention to the more mechanistic work that we do and we kinda go back and forth Um, I guess the other thing that I would say is that we're trying to find evidence-based things in diet but both of us are working in beans and yogurt which are totally accessible and they're something that you can go buy in a grocery store in any part of the country in any neighborhood and so I think as long as we can show the evidence that this is worth doing, we really hope that this is something that, that any colorectal cancer patient can enact and, and do going forward and do with their family. So I think that's another beautiful thing about diet is you don't have to have health insurance to make these changes, and you don't need a physician to make these changes. You just need the right motivation and the long-term commitment.
2: Right,
0: and the evidence which you two are providing, which is just fantastic. Um, All right, Hong, what about you? If you were had the opportunity to talk to a colorectal cancer patient who wanted to know why what you do specifically is important, Um,
2: Uh, anything you'd like to add? Sure. Yeah, I just uh, I want to emphasize that I share the same like uh, research interest with Carrie, which I just mentioned that uh, we want to translate the findings from the epidemiological research into the clinical practice uh, like the cancer survivorship. And I would, I would like to add that uh, uh, there is a promising role of nutrition for cancer uh, patients or cancer treatment because uh, the, the patients with uh, uh, the uh, colorectal cancers are highly motivated to seek lifestyle changes in, including the nutrition uh, modification or intervention. And biologically, uh, the nutrition is uh, very low cost and a high, but very high safety. And like Carrie just mentioned, it's very accessible. And uh, comparing to most of the, the, the treatment and the drugs, and uh, uh, I need to emphasize that we are not saying that we want to, uh, 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 I want to emphasize that I still think the, uh, the, the patient should should absolutely uh, talk to the physicians and medical oncologists to follow all the treatments, and, uh, including the surgery or radiation, et cetera. Uh, but uh, my research is more from uh, the prospective complement with the current existing treatment regimen uh, to possibly including some dietary intervention into the existing uh, treatment. Uh, To improve the uh, the survival of the patients. In fact, uh, uh, there are emerging evidence showing that um, from both the the animal or experimental study and also the population based cohort study, showing that uh, uh, the post-diagnostic nutritional changes absolutely can improve the patient's survival. And. Uh, And also uh, considerable experimental evidence showing that nutrition has a measurable impact on tumor microenvironment. And uh, taking all together uh, nutrition intervention or modification uh, for the cancer patients uh, uh, is very feasible and have a promising, you know, uh, to improve the survival for, for the patients.
0: Well, thank you. I think, um, just gracious, on behalf of the ACS, just know that we're grateful for what you're doing, and certainly on the behalf of colorectal cancer patients and their families and survivors and those yet to come. um, Both of your work has already been and will continue to be incredibly impactful. So thank you for all you do, and I look forward to seeing you in Atlanta in a few weeks. Yes, thank you. Look forward to seeing you all.
2: Thank you for having me, yeah. Thank you. I'm looking forward.
1: All right. Bye-bye.
2: Bye.